Well, we are now in the dog days of summer where our only options is to watch baseball and golf. <laughs> Just so boring. I know the Diamondbacks are good, yay, but talk to me after 100 games and then we'll find out what's really going on. <laughs> um, we also have, you know, plans here. Like, I'm back and I got all this energy. Um, and, but, like, so many people are coming and going, kind of vacations and all these things that... It's like, all right, we're just going to sit around and just wait till fall. <laughs> and did you see the forecast this week? Dog days. Uh, 113, 115 also makes it to where you don't really want to do much running or, or much planning. Um, so those are coming up. But Jesus doesn't have dog days. He doesn't even know what they are. Um, Isaiah tells us, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He does not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. Sounds pretty good. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. They'll be like trees planted by streams of water, which bear fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Their souls will be well-watered gardens filled with torrents of living water. Their cup will run over even in the presence of their enemies and in the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah? Yeah, you with me? <laughs> um, these are not just words. These are God's plans. Not Drake's version, but Jesus' version. Some people with me there. Um, so if you're feeling dry and weary, if you're worn out or tore up in the battle with unrighteousness or the sneakier battle with self-righteousness, you are in the right place. The Spirit of God is here. The people of God are here. The Word of God is here. And that is some powerful stuff. Yeah? You guys are not that excited, I don't think. I know it's Sunday morning, but we got a lot to celebrate because Jesus rose from the dead. Um, so, I also am trying to butter you up before the sucker punch of Hosea comes through right now. Um, we're going to read Hosea chapter 4, and uh, it's a good time to go to the bathroom for the next 30 minutes, <laughs> if you are wise. Um, not really. That would be foolish, I think. I don't know. Hosea chapter 4, I'm going to read some things here, and uh, if you have um, a tendency to take notes, it's a good time to pull out a pen and kind of jot some questions down, some things down that stick out to you. You can check those out later. I might address some of them in the message, which would be great, but um, we're all trying to get God's heart in this, so you have to do work too. Uh, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, you people of God, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you. Who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is only cursing and lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bonds and covenants, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse one another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. 
Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the laws of God, I will also ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Old wine and new wine take away their understanding. My people consult a wooden idol and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth where shade is pleasant. Therefore your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to idolatry, adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? I did, by the way, I did not put, pick the book of Hosea. I was just minding my own business in Ireland. I came back, and then they just told me what to do, and I was just doing what I'm told to do, you know, doing what I'm told to do. Um, as you know, Ryan kicked this off in, uh, a couple weeks ago and really did share a lot of correlations between um, what was going on in Hosea's day and what's going on today. Um, Alec picked up last week and, and taught um, really a, about the, the, the image of, of a guy named Hosea um, going and marrying, being told by God to go marry a, a woman who is in prostitution and bringing her into his home and having children with her and she's continuing to go out to find other men's beds to be with them and, and this real kind of convoluted, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching reality that God signed Hosea up for however long that took. And he correlated that with the, the prodigal son leaving in the father's heart and, and God sharing about how he is so frustrated and angry and upset with what is taking place. His own heart is breaking and wrenching. And yet, like the father in the prodigal story, he is trying to keep his heart soft so that if the prodigal returns, he will be able to receive him. And so I, I think we've got the little bit of picture here. And it's interesting because Hosea is a prophet who doesn't just speak the word of the Lord, but he actually lived out in practical reality something that then brought him to an understanding of God's heart. Does that make sense? He didn't just hear God give him ideas and God put something in his heart that he spoke. God said to go marry this prostitute and go through all this heart wrench so that when you speak, you will know how I feel. You will know what it's like for me. And so there's a depth to Hosea that's really interesting and rich. Um, there were a couple other guys that did the same thing. One time, uh, Ezekiel... Um, he laid on his side for, for 390 days. And then the Lord said, okay, now get up and lie on the other side for 40 days. And then share the word of the Lord from that, which is fascinating. One time, Jeremiah was told to go buy some new underwear, put it on, and then take it off and go bury it in a hole. 
And then after a certain, after a long time, it says, he was supposed to take the underwear, put it back on and go walk around town with his soiled underwear. It was all dirty. And then share the word of the Lord there. So it's dangerous being a prophet. Like, I don't know. These guys are interesting. Um, But anyways, there's this practical reality to what Hosea is teaching. And the words of prophecy we know from 1 Corinthians 14 are three things. They're supposed to be edifying, building us up. They're supposed to be exhorting, which is sometimes correction. And then they're supposed to be comforting. Um, And in Hosea, you do find all three of those things, but you find a whole lot of exhortation, of correction from the Lord. Um, So if we're not feeling that, then we're not actually doing justice to the book of Hosea. So Hosea chapter 4, we're going to go through this. Uh, There's a few things he mentions here. We're going to hit those three things. Then we're going to figure out how to respond to them in the the way that we should today. Um, Remembering that Hosea is speaking to his his time and his day, and and we're going to start there and then try and work our way towards today. So um, in this message, chapter 4, Hosea says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you, you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. So when God looked at the people in Hosea's day, he was frustrated. He was angry. He was full of wrath. And at the same time, full of love and grace and longing for them. God is not one or the other. He is both. He is all that the Bible teaches us he is. We sang about Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, all these names. And there is a reality to God where God has wrath. God gets angry. He hates sin and what it does. And in Hosea, we're seeing that kind of come to full fruition. And just to give us some historical context, this gets real heavy real quick, um, Two years after Hosea gave his message and lived his life, the northern ten tribes of Israel, which in Hosea is often called Ephraim, those northern ten tribes were taken over by the Assyrians. So he was warning them, hey, people of God, you're right on the edge. You're headed towards destruction. If you don't turn, you're going to be destroyed. And two years after him, Assyria came down and took over, conquered the ten, nation, or the ten tribes of the north. And when Assyria takes over a nation, historically speaking, it's not, you know, kind of some UN situation. But what they did was they came in and they literally tore men, women, and children apart. And what Assyria had a custom of doing is they would find kind of the strong people that they wanted to take back to Assyria to make slaves, and they would put a fish hook in their mouth, literally, and drag them behind them as they walked back to Assyria. And then they would take all of the dead, and they would take their skulls and pile them up around the city gates of whatever place they had conquered. This happened to the Israelites. This happened to the people who were called by God's name. And somehow in here, God is saying that this is, this is something that he allowed as a discipline to turn them back to him. 
That is some heavy stuff. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them to turn from the direction they're going or they're going to find this destruction. Another way to look at it is that God is this shepherd, right? We know Jesus called him the shepherd and often we hear that the Lord is my shepherd. And the shepherd, I've been in Ireland, so I just like sheep all over my dream. I got sheep on the brain all the time now. There's sheep everywhere. And, and you, you picture this like big sheep pen and, and the, 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 the shepherd sets up this perimeter. You know, he basically sets up this, this pen. He puts this hedge, literally in Ireland, it's all hedges, it's just blackberry bushes, which is awesome sometime of the year, but it's horrible the rest of the year because when the blackberries are there, they're good, but every time else they're just, they're just ugly, really. But there's this hedge around all of the, the, the sheep and that, that hedge is to keep the sheep in one spot, but it's also to keep the foxes out. There's no serious predator in Ireland. Um, they just have foxes. And, and the foxes are on the outside, and, and supposed to, the hedge is supposed to keep them out, and the shepherd watches over the sheep to make sure none of that stuff happens. And um, I have this picture in my mind all week as I was thinking about this, that what we do when we try and remove the boundary markers that the Lord has set for us, well, what, we, what we're doing when we remove the fence or remove the piece of section that, you know, I, I want to go get that. I like that over there. And there's this boundary. God's saying I can't. So if I just remove that thing and go get it, we, we think we're getting freedom. We think that now we're going to be able to go out and get something. But what we don't realize is that outside of those hedges is, is, is hell. And when we remove the boundary markers that God has given us, we are allowing hell to come in. And this is the saddest thing, and this is what he says over and over again. You priests have done this. You begin to remove the hedges. You begin to speak uh, differently about the ways of God and who God is. You've been able to pull these things out, and what you don't realize is you have let the foxes or the wolves come in. And the scariest thing about it is in Ireland, the foxes aren't big enough to take on the sheep. What they do is they destroy the lambs. They kill the lambs. And that's what he says in here. He says that the, the damage is going to happen to your children. You don't always get to pick the sin. You, you get to pick the sin, but you don't get to pick the consequence. And this is a little bit of what's happening in our world. It's what's happening in Hosea's world, that they were pulling up all these boundaries, things that were actually keeping the people in a good place with the green pastures and still waters. They begin to rebel against those or start to think, why can't we have this sheep pasture and the pasture of Baal or the pasture of something else? Why can't we just kind of come and go and we please? Because they didn't realize that outside the parameters that God has given us is not freedom, but is bond and destruction. And God's constant message through Hosea is return, turn before it's too late before it's too late. And so what God is really upset about is these three things. When he looks at them, he sees there is no faithfulness, there's no steadfast love, and there's no knowledge of God in the land. So we're going to jump into those three things if you're taking notes. So first of all, our God is very covenantal. Faithfulness is a very big deal to the God of the Bible. In fact, in the New Testament, it says there's only one thing God requires of his servants, that they be found faithful. You don't even have to be good at anything. Hallelujah. <laughs> you just have to be faithful. You just have to keep showing up. You could be bad at everything all the time, 
but as long as you're faithful, you just keep showing up. You could fall, but as long as you get up and keep going back, keep returning to the Lord. That, he just wants faithfulness. Old covenant, new covenant. Adam he made a covenant with. Noah he made a covenant with. Abraham he made a, Like the whole Bible is just these covenants that God made with his people. And the whole New Testament is a covenant that he made with all people. We're trying to figure out what that is and how to walk in that. And live up to that. God is very relational. He's very covenantal. Um, and he doesn't want our yes to be no and our no to be yes. If we say yes, he wants us to do it. And when we are not faithful in our contractual or covenantal agreements, it doesn't just affect me and the person that I'm in that with. It has an effect on God. It makes him angry. It upsets him. This applies to business deals, financial contracts, relationships like marriage, fatherhood, motherhood, sisters, brothers. These are contracts. These are things that God is expecting us to do well and to be faithful in. One of the scariest things I realized as a dad was that if I neglect my wife, I won't get away with it. <laughs> like, it, will not, it won't be good for me. But if I neglect my children, I can get away with it. I can get away with neglecting my children. They don't know how to make it miserable for me or to speak up for themselves. I can be unfaithful in my covenant to my children and actually feel like I'm getting away with it. It's a very scary thing. Faithfulness is basically when it's hard, we don't quit. It's basically showing up when no one else will. To be full of faith is to be faithful, right? And faithful, we know what that means. It means you stick at it. You stick with it. If you say you're going to do it, you do it, no matter the cost, no matter the changes. You don't wheel and deal to try and renege on the covenant and kind of switch it around to your best interest. You're just a faithful. You just do what you said you're going to do. And in order for us to do that, living in a city like Phoenix, is we have to make less commitments. No doubt about it. We're overcommitted, and so we're being unfaithful. And God wants to see faithfulness. Today, our nation is not being faithful to its covenants. These are some things that came to mind when I was thinking along those lines. Afghanistan is one example. People are being encouraged to not be faithful to their God-given gender and sexuality. Unfaithfulness in marriage is being normalized, not only cheating on a spouse, but not continuing to love a spouse who has cheated. And I know that's a very delicate situation there because there are toxic relationships that need space and distance. Unfaithfulness to children, we have plenty to show for in our abortion and foster care realities. But we need to know that our unfaithfulness is also stirring up and storing up God's wrath and he will not relent forever. At the end of the service today, we're going to have a time to just kind of listen to the Lord and have him search us because there's probably even ways that we don't realize that we're being unfaithful just because we have blind spots or whatever. And what's so interesting is, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. This is God speaking the word of the Lord to his people, not 
just the world out there. And we can so easily take a message like today and just start applying it to, you know, America or some other nation or whatever. But this is supposed to apply to us. No steadfast love. This is the second thing that God had against it. Like I'm saying, this is, I got two more of these. So if you want to like take off right now, I'm looking down. Just do, make your move. No, no stress, no pressure. Um, no steadfast love. Y'all stayed. It's your fault. Can't blame me. Um, in the face of all the bad ideas and political, ideological, and identity wars raging around us, many have done well to seek truth. As Jim was saying, we've tried to really be a, a bastion of truth here to do our best to figure out what God's plan is and, and, and not be apologetic or not be shy about those things. And that's, that's a good and beautiful thing, and I know a lot of people have done that. But um, I do think that a lot of people who have increased in the intensity and hunger for truth have forgot that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so they've really intensified and kind of raised the level of their truth and the reality there, but they forgot about love. They forgot about grace and mercy. They forgot about steadfast love. And what it seems like the church has done in in America today is they've decided one or the other. We're either going all in on love or we're going all in on truth. And so you have churches that have gone all in on truth and basically feel like a big condemnation to the rest of the world. And though they might be there in their freedom and all those things, they're not seeing anybody one to Christ. Because it takes love for that. And then on the other hand, you have people who have basically said, well, God is love and he wants us to love, so I'm just going to kind of let go of truth or compromise on truth in order to really be loving in the way I'm supposed to be loving. But the problem with that is the truth is what sets you free. So you're not setting anyone free. You're just adding to their bondage and kind of patting them on the back. I don't know a lot about denominations, so please do not, like, I mean, you could email me totally. We could talk about whatever, but it's like, I don't, I'm not claiming to know everything. I just have heard that the Methodist church has split in two now. There's the United Methodist Church, which is a hilarious name for somebody that just split in two. <laughs> it's like, why do you get to be called United? Um, and then the other one's called the General Methodist Church. And it's, it's, it's that exact picture, I think, where one has chosen love and one has chosen truth. And it's too miserable to stay together in that space. And I agree with that. To hang on to love, to increase, to hold on tightly to love and truth is so exhausting. It, is, it feels like getting torn apart. But it's the way of Jesus. Those of you who have a loved one who has chosen a certain lifestyle or is living in sin, you know the torture and pain of coming to grips with both of those things. You know it's torn you apart for years, maybe decades. To hang on to the truth and not compromise there, but also be so steadfast in your love. And Jesus said that's the way he came. That's what he was all about, both, full. And you know what it got him? It got him killed. So there's no promise that, oh, if you get it right, it'll be rosy and everything will work out great. But it's the way of Jesus. It's the only hope for the world, for the church to walk in his ways, to help people see God as he really is, full of love and full of truth. That somehow in the cross, those two mighty rivers flow into one moment that literally can save everyone for all time. 
We need to increase our steadfast love at Living Streams. Next week, we're going to talk a little more about that, I, I think, I hope. No promises, but I'm trying to figure it out, what that looks like in our day and age. For Hosea, it looked like continually chasing down this woman that he had kids with, that he had had sex with, that he was trying to make a family with, and she kept running away from him over and over and over again. And he would come to God, and God would say, steadfast love. Keep going, keep going, keep going. It's an amazing thing. And then the last thing is there was no knowledge of God in the land. Um, this refrain is repeated multiple times in chapter 4. Hopefully you noticed that. Um, there it says it in verse, in verse 6. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Um, right after that, you have rejected knowledge. Um, so I reject you as priests. You have ignored the laws of God. Um, and then it finishes up with a people without understanding will come to ruin. So when God looked at his people, he saw that they didn't, they didn't know his ways. They didn't know him. They were more familiar with the ways of Baal and Baal and the ways of the world than they were with, with his ways. And the ways that they did know of, of, of God, they, you know, in our day and age, those are called oppressive or those are called, um, you know, back kind of historical or worthless these days. And then in chapter, in chapter 5, he's, he actually says the same thing about the knowledge of God. Um, and Jesus, it's interesting when he's talking about knowledge of God or knowing God, he talks, tells this parable of the sheep and the goats, right? Again, sheep, they're, they're all over my life right now. The sheep and the goats. And, and the sheep, you know, got to go in. They were faithful, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into your, my, your, your master's joy. I love that phrase. And then for the goats, it was depart from me for I never knew you. And they were like, we did all these things in your name. We did all these good deeds. And he said, yeah, but I, I never knew you. There was no relationship. There was no knowledge of God in you. All you knew was the God that you wanted me to be. You didn't actually know me. And in that moment, the parable, Jesus' own words says, they departed into weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a heaviness. There's a judgment there. And in our day, people are way more f familiar with how to make money than how to walk by faith. I was telling first service, I, wish, I think that we should build like a little wall right here so I can hide behind it sometimes when I say things. People are working harder to please themselves than to please God. Sometimes it even shows up in our worship songs. The laws and commandments of God are not only unknown, but they're rejected. And the sad thing and the scary thing is this doesn't just have an effect on us, but as Hosea teaches us, it is affecting God. God, and it sounds weird, but God has feelings towards us. And these are not stirring up the feelings we want him to have to us. He's not an evil or abusive. He doesn't have toxic anger. You can't think of God's anger as the way you think of it in our human. We don't get anger right. But God's anger is just 
It is beautiful. It is right. It is holy. It's the kind of anger a husband might have if someone was to rape his wife. It's the kind of anger a woman might have if a husband tried to bring another woman into their union. God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to be one of our loves. He wants to be the whole thing. It's all or nothing. And he sees our love of money, our love of self, our love of comfort, our love of safety, our love as control as a spirit of whoredom inside of us. One of the creepiest verses in the Bible is it talks about Babylon being destroyed in the book of Revelation. And you're like, yeah, Babylon, the world system, the, the, the Antichrist, all of this stuff that, is, that represents the world. But in Revelation, when Babylon is destroyed, it says that everyone wept because they were so entangled with it, maybe without even knowing. When all of that collapsed, you would think the people would rejoice, but instead they wept because a piece of them died with it. And Babylon is alive and well in our world these days. That's the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of heaven is alive and well these days. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to go all in with our citizenship in one of those. And it's not Babylon. And yet our hearts are so prone to wander. Our hearts are so easily deceived, if not just entangled with the weight and the junk that is in this world. We buy into lies so easily. Adam and Eve, that's who we are. And yet our Father in heaven is saying, I want you to return. I want you to come close to me so I can pick and I can pull out all of the worldliness that is in you that's going to rob you and your children of what I have in mind for you. Hosea 6 says, Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has smitten, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, and we will live in his presence. So let us know. Let us strive to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn and the spring rains that water the earth. This is the message of Hosea. Everything that is said and done is really just to get us to return to the Lord, to come back to him. And I think we all need to. Yes, I think America needs to. Yes, I think people who don't know Jesus need to. But I think we do as well. Martin Luther on his 95 Theses, the very first line said, all of life is repentance. God says the sacrifices that he longs for is a broken and a contrite heart. We need to humble ourselves before our almighty God and ask him for mercy. Mercy for us and mercy for the children of our land who are so lost, who are being devoured by the wolves.